So there's something we say a lot in in Amsterdam is like um, this, as they say, the system word and the life word. And the system word is uh, pretty much the organization and the, the challenges and the regulations. And the life word, it's just the life that people have and just their regular daily lives, I'll say. And there's like a mismatch. So people, they have challenges, they're facing stuff. And at the same time, the city is managing and dealing with some other stuff. And it doesn't always match. And maybe tech has a role there in translating and bridging those two things. In these times of fast change, have you ever thought architecture might be falling a bit short and wondered what's next? Well, let's find out. My name is Luca De Stefano, I'm one of the founders of Nona, and this is Boundary Breaking Businesses Beyond Architecture, designers and commissioners of tomorrow speaking today. Episode 3: Cities, Design and Tech. Hello everyone and welcome back to Beyond Architecture. In the last episode, we looked at technology from the perspective of a group of architects starting their own tech startup and scaling it up to being a very successful business. Today, we stay on technology, but from the perspective of cities. We go all the way to Amsterdam, the Netherlands, to look at the way the city and the urban planning department are working with technology, are innovative, which tools they use, but also which new opportunities for collaborations are arising for designers just like us. Our guest is originally an architect and urban planner. He worked for many years for the city of Brasilia, and also he has been collecting a long list of academic qualifications, including a PhD from the University of Technology of Eindhoven. And today he's the I-Team Director and the head of the Digital Urban Planning Lab for the city of Amsterdam. We connect with Amsterdam, the Netherlands, because at Beyond Architecture, we talk with Bruno Avila Esha de Matos. Hello. Hi, Bruno. Thank you, Luca. <laughs> very nice to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Um, I want to jump right into a question that I have for a while. What are you guys doing at the lab? What are you doing there? What's what's hot these days? <laughs> yeah, nice question. So um, actually what we are working on uh, is exploring new technologies and new functionalities uh, to improve uh, the urban planning process. So especially making it more transparent, more inclusive, um, and trying to address uh, one uh, this gap between uh, the technologies that are available and what we actually use uh, in urban planning and in urban design. Uh, and second, this gap between uh, what people want, what people expect from uh, urban development and what ex what happens or what's like uh, uh, undertaken. So pretty much bridging those gaps uh, and then serving, um, try to provide answers to some questions from the urban development department in, uh, in Amsterdam. And talking about technical solutions, could you maybe mention a couple of very hot pieces of tech or softwares or tools that are out there at the moment? What are you guys working with? Yeah, so um, we are now exploring uh, the possibilities of extended reality, so augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, and especially the role of game engines, such as Unity and Unreal, uh, for uh, in participation processes. 
So in uh, the city has been using Unity for uh, sort of 3D platform for some time, for around two, three years. Uh, so it's a 3D.amsterdam.nl. So it's just open, everyone can download it, can visualize it. And it's based, it's an open source code and it's based in Unity. Um, and now we're also exploring Unreal, uh, especially for for the, the augmented reality applications and uh, possibility of parametric design within Unreal. Okay, so if I understand right, we are talking about a digital twin almost, just visualizing digital twins in a more accessible way. Is that it? Uh, so the digital twin is uh, it's uh, the the replica of uh, of something that exists in the reality. So it can be an object, a process. Um, but then, so in this case, we're talking about a digital twin of a city or like a neighborhood. Uh, 3D Amsterdam, it's kind of like a base for a digital twin. So it is a digital twin, but like in a, in a starting maturity level um, because you have the 3D model of it. But then when you start to have more real-time data and you're able to actually run simulations with it, um, then it gets closer to what a digital twin uh, would be. Um, so... But then I would say that the digital twin is more than visualizing 3D data. It's just like, um, so actually I can give an example. So when we are, uh, when people are designing a plane, like in this big companies, they're just designing a new plane. They're going to have a digital twin of the plane uh, in order to see if it's resistant, uh, the aerodynamics of it, and if it works, and they're just like, have a total digital replica before they start building it because it's so expensive to build a plane. And, and that's the same idea with a city or a neighborhood. So before you really go and build it, we're just, you, you need to, uh, you're going to make a replica of it. You're going to make a lot of simulations. You're going to test different scenarios. Uh, and then you can actually build it. And uh, yeah, or, or if it, Maybe it's like not a new neighborhood, but it's like just the city and managing the city and then you're trying a new policy or something. So that's the idea of the digital twin. Okay. So simulating different different kind of solutions or different kind of policies as well. Yeah. Having the, having the virtual replica of something that you can uh, play with and, uh, and try different things before you actually make the decisions. And you were mentioning before, this is both used internally to, to simulate um, different outcomes, but you also mentioned that you're using this for public participations and citizen engagement, right? Yes. So, um, so internally, so 3D Amsterdam is open for everyone. Uh, we do have some other uh, digital twin-like applications in the city, like uh, the traffic model, and then it's just like a digital twin of the whole mobility system, and then they do a lot of simulations there also, uh, and then it's mainly internal. Um, but in our lab specifically, we are exploring the possibilities of how, how do we use, uh, how do we provide this um, symmetric, uh, the symmetry in information so, so that the community has access to the same information as uh, the city officials. Um, and the way to do it, and it's harder than we think because, and then it also has to do with 3D and being realistic because for someone from the community it's way harder to understand like a plan or even like a 3D model if it's not really realistic. So it's not like a thing of like, 
oh, the, the website or the platform is aesthetically uh, looks nicer if it's realistic, but that is really helpful for people to understand it. And you also mentioned before you're working with augmented reality or virtual reality. Uh, is that part of the same kind of process and thinking? The more immersive and realistic it is, the better citizens react and understand? Yeah. So that's actually, that's our assumption that we're going to test. I mean, we're a lab, so let's see how people react to the augmented reality application. But then um, the, with the virtual reality, so it's really like getting immersed in this new, this, this proposed uh, environment. But we, we found that it was nice to start with augmented reality instead, because then um, you get, it's not that you get immersed, but also like you can really, you go uh, in the reality, like in the environment, and you can see the new buildings or the new proposals just in their actual environment. So you can really like walk on the neighborhood and see where the new buildings are coming and what's going to happen. And it's quite it's quite powerful because I mean it's really uh, it's easier to understand and it's way easier than uh, if you just have like a nice 3D rendering rendering of of the situation. And so one is like you can the idea is like to walk through the streets and see what's proposed, um, and then uh, later on you could also get data. So you could also like walk and then get data about things like when you're using the application, so data about the new projects or if it goes towards uh, uh, sanitation or infrastructure that you could also get information about these assets. Um, and the other thing is that you could have this, uh, this maquette or this 3D model in your, uh, just in your um, dining room, for example. So there's a new project, you don't have the time or the, to go to like to the, to see the actual model or to go to such a session. And then you can just like with the application, just see in your house what is proposed, what is the idea, what's going to happen. And um, yeah, so like, just like you said, it's like bringing people, it's like trying to uh, make it easier for people to participate and engage in this, uh, in this processes. Um, I kind of feel reading through your answer that this tries to address the problem of low citizens' engagement when it comes to participation in general. Um, is that the case? Are you guys trying to get more people involved because not that many actually participate? Um, yeah, so we have been doing research as part of our uh, way of working. We do a lot of research before we propose a new solution or a new technology. And in our research, uh, we realized that the same people are participating and usually small groups and also we we see like an under representation of uh youth so just like the younger the people the less uh, they are interested in participating in these things um but then i would phrase the problem like not as a lack of engagement or a lack of interest but i would say um how can we make the city ready uh, or in, in uh, capable of engaging people in many different ways. So like meeting people where they are, in their needs, in their lifestyle, and not, okay, this is how we should participate, this is, this is the framework, and in, in, your life needs to fit into this, but like kind of like the, the opposite. 
but definitely like more people, but also especially underrepresented people. So the more you work or the more, if you have two, three jobs to get uh, live paycheck by paycheck, or you just like rent a place, you're not don't have the time or the to really like go to and invest a lot of time to participate in things. But uh, what's going to happen is that these decisions they're going to impact your life, anyways. So then you have the people that has more conditions or more money or more time. They're just like uh, they'll be influencing the process more, and the people that need the most, they. Yeah, they won't be. They they're not really participating as much. So that's uh, something we're trying to tackle. That's very interesting eh? that the city of Amsterdam is so uh, actively <laughs> trying to engage with citizens. Um, I, I have this one personal example. I'm a proud citizen of Amsterdam myself, and I get or I used to get. This happened, I think, a year ago or so. I used to get Instagram ads of running projects. So they will be like, hey, this is happening. This is gonna happen in a few years. If you wanna comment, vote here. It's a whole language that for me was very new. Insta ads were, you know, to sell stuff, not to get citizens excited. So I found that quite forward thinking, <laughs> I have to say. I don't know if you were behind that. No, I, I was not. Um, no? But no, not specifically this, um, but like uh, it's definitely something that also other departments in the city are doing. So they're trying new ways to engage people. Um, and we have some really nice examples in Amsterdam uh, on like uh, engaging people, uh, engaging the community in nice ways. Um, but we also uh, have in some areas, some challenges in like uh, engaging people. And specifically, the, the more complex the project is, uh, it's also harder because there are so many requirements and legal requirements, and then you come to participate, but the things are pretty much already decided because there are not so much space to, to change things anymore. Um, but yeah, so I personally am not involved in this specific project uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, in this initiative, but that's... That I can I recognize that, but that definitely the many departments and projects are just trying to figure out yeah. ways to engage with people. Yeah, and I really can imagine this whole complexity might be a pain point. Like, how do I get citizens to actually talk and express their view if it's already a huge mess to handle myself within yeah. my department, <laughs> within all the stakeholders, within the regulations, the government, and so on. And then, you know, how do you get to citizens and really create a safe ground for them to participate and say, hey, actually, this is a mess. You need to restart and you already run out of budget and it's already too late. Uh, so does tech help in that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that that's uh, I think that's the biggest role uh, of tech at this moment, trying to make complexity understandable try to show, uh, to make visible how one thing impacts the other. So how mobility impacts on well-being, how the housing uh, topic uh, relates to, for example, amenities and facilities in public space. So uh, it's all related. Also the financing, it's all related. And uh, when it, now in the last years, also the whole concern with, um, with climate change, climate adaptation, uh, circularity. So it's all related and it's all very complex, but, um, and sometimes abstract. So how do you translate that to something we can visualize? Cause we also know better than anyone. So we also have trouble in visualizing those things and, and 
make a sense of this complexity, but also, and then it makes it easier for us how can uh, how do we make it also easier for for the community to to understand the challenges that we are facing also in in the municipality and i would say it's like a two way thing so on one, okay the challenges that we as municipality are facing and then also empower people and meet where they are so they can also express their challenges so there's something we say a lot in in amsterdam is like um, this as they say the system word and the life word and the system word is uh pretty much the organization and the, the challenges and the regulations and the life word it's just the life that people have and just their regular daily lives i'll say and there's like a mismatch so people they have challenges they're facing stuff and at the same time the city is managing and dealing with some other stuff and it doesn't always match and maybe tech has a role there in translating and bridging those two things. And that, that makes me think a bit of, of an issue that might come along when we talk about new technologies in general, right? There is a whole adoption curve and it's either because, as you mentioned, new tech, it's very expensive in the case of the Apple, Apple ad set. Um, but also there is a whole learning curve that goes with new tech. And the more tech evolves, I feel, the faster and steeper that curve becomes, right? Um, I wonder how you guys deal with this in the municipality of Amsterdam, which is, in case our listeners don't know, only in the urban planning department, a huge organization. Yes. How do you catch up with that? How do you keep your colleagues up to speed? Yeah, so uh, I can mention some uh, things the municipality does to address that. So uh, one thing, we have a team uh, that's the tech roadmap team uh, within the innovation department. And they're just like, always like looking forward, just, okay, what's going to happen? What is, what's coming along? What are the new technologies? What are the possibilities? And they make these reports uh, that they share and present with the rest of the organization. So, oh, that's metaverse coming along or there's like uh blockchain or whatever it's the new tech going on they're just like uh, go and uh, present it to colleagues uh, another thing is and that relates to what uh, to our role as digital urban planning lab is like having a sort of a competence center so within this protected environmental lab environment we're going to experiment with this tools learn and then uh, when it's like ready to be uh, upscaled, then you can, okay, look, this, these are the possibilities. Those are the risks. This is how much it would cost. This is which kind of training people would need like to roll that. So we're gonna, if we want to have like augmented reality applications for all projects, okay, this is how much, how much it's gonna cost, this kind of expertise we need. Um, and then we also do that, for example, for computer vision. So there's a computer vision team in the department that also does the same. They're learning and exploring what's possible. And then the AI teams kind of doing the same for AI. Um, so yeah, I think the way the city does like creating this, what to call a sandbox, like this, this uh, space, this unity where we are free to try things of course, we try our best to be successful, and I hope we are successful in everything we do. But there's also room 
to make mistakes and say, hey, we tried this technology, this game engine, but you know, it's just like not really handy if you want to use it in a real project. So actually you need to look for something else and it's okay. It's not like the whole project, the whole urban development of the city is going to stop because you made a wrong decision, but it's just like it's, it's a safe space for trying things out. So I would say for big organizations or municipalities, like having such an innovation department or having teams, uh, multidisciplinary teams working and trying things out is definitely like a way to go before like making a step and really go, hey, the whole city is changing to something new and then uh, going to, to private parties or like consultants to set it all up, but then you don't have the expertise within the municipality it can be risky. And But I love that you guys are a lab, so it really recalls this idea of experiments. And when I think about experiments, I think about this very childish picture of a scientist, you know, making things explode most of yes. the time, and then one works out of a hundred. Um, is that a bit the case with you? Like a lot of lot of failed projects and a few very interesting conclusions. Um, yeah. So. Um... What we do, because we also work uh, agile, so we work with short cycles. So it means trying small things at a time. So instead of like, oh, we're going to work here for a year, and then within a year we come with something, okay, that's what we did, and then it's a total disaster. We're going to make small things, and then small, so we start with a session, start with a prototype. Before we develop, we make like a mock-up of an application, and then we go and we go and we go. And then sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not, but then we learn something with it and then it was useful. So usually we work in cycles of three weeks. So every three weeks we go, oh, there's a new thing. We discuss with the team and say, hey, it works really well. Oh, this thing, it's not gonna work. We need another solution and then we go. So I would say it's not like uh, having a lot of disasters and then some uh, positive outcomes, but I'd say it's all learning. Even like when it doesn't work, then we can go and go to the organization and say, hey, this kind of application of this kind of method doesn't really work in the context of Amsterdam. And it's also valuable information. That's quite interesting, huh? because if I reflected on more traditional architectural practice or design practices, very rarely you have a unit dedicated to, like either you're a huge corporation or it's quite unlikely that you will have people just testing things and failing every three weeks and trying something yeah. new and working with agile. That's really not something architects do because there is always a very clear goal. I have to design a building. It needs to be that product. It cannot be anything you want to be. So it's, it's a nice parallelism. Um, just, I, I have another question, um, more related to your team because we talk about a workflow that is, a lot closer to tech in a way um, yep. and working with Agile and working with a multidisciplinary team. How does that look like? Who are the people in your team today? What do they do? What What is their background? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say that having such a lab uh, requires a multidisciplinary team. Uh, so we have people like a service designer, community manager, we have an artist, uh, we also have like a solution architect. It's more like, a, but so a software architect side, not an uh, architect architect, um, data specialist, data analyst, um, and the, and it's key. It's really important because uh, the thing is, we need to uh, design things and do uh, applications 
for humans, for the community in the context of, of Amsterdam. Uh, so we need, it's, it's, a, it's an expertise. So getting to talk to people, understand people, it's an expertise. It's not like something you just know. So you need to learn. And at the same time, developing an application and uh, it's also an expertise. So you also need to learn uh, and also need to uh, study for that. Um, and then when you put everyone together, and then that's, I, I would say, it's kind of like a myth of uh, that some people think it's like magic. You put all, make a diverse team, you put everyone together. It's like a, a potion and then it works and then has all these brilliant ideas. But actually, it's way more challenging. That I've learned in the last uh, in the last uh, years is like you really need a process to go within. You need a process to organize and see how people with different uh, academic backgrounds or ex work experiences work together. So, what's the input from uh, the service designer to the solution architect? or to the data analyst and how those things work together. And that's uh, so that's why we're working Agile also, uh, because w uh, in Agile, usually, yeah, you know what you want kind of, but then you have like three weeks or have like small cycles to test if it's really what people want. Um, but for us, we realized it was not, because it's, it's uh, Agile is, is a framework from uh, software development, but then we're also working with uh, problem-driven iteration adaptation uh, from uh, the Harvard School. So they have this methodology kind of like adapting the cycles to public policy and taking the social aspect and the political aspect to it. So trying to, we're taking, we're taking some things from Agile and uh, taking some things from other methods to really like be able to understand the problem and go again and why this problem is happening and then what is... Uh, what are the possible solutions that we could offer and then test the solutions. Uh, so I'd say having a multidisciplinary team is important, but knowing how to lead such a team or to organize the process is also super important. It's, there's no magic to it. I can imagine that. It feels almost like a lot of people speak in different languages and yes. you have to be translating to each other. Going back to, to your explanation of the role of the lab in this whole innovation ecosystem in the municipality, you guys are a bit like you take the tech and try to see if there is an actual use. And if there is an actual use, you pass it to the others or you try to develop models that could be used by other departments, right? Uh, so I would say the tech roadmap team would kind of do that. So they, they take okay. the tech and do some research. In our case, we started the problem. So mm. we take the challenge and um, we take the challenge, we, we try to understand it well, so what's going on. Um, and then, of course, since we have a lot of tech people in the team with some tech knowledge, so we have some, it rings a bell, hey, this and this and this, maybe we could solve with that and that and that. And then we go and try and test it and then we come back to the organization and say, hey, it seems like it works or seems like it's not uh, the best solution. But we're like starting with the problem, not really with, uh, with the tech. You guys are a lot working in tech. There's a tech roadmap team. There is you guys more problem driven. Maybe it's, it's good to stop for a minute and um, ask you an important question. How many people are working right now, if you know, of course, in the Amsterdam municipality for the whole urban planning? 
Yeah, so, um, so actually we are all in the innovation department, so not in the urban planning department. Okay. So we are officially in the, so that's around 150 people in the innovation department. So 150 working on innovation only. Yes. Okay. And then, in the, so the, actually the urban uh, planning and development departments are actually huge. I would say thousands of people. I don't know. I think it's around 500 urban designers. Um, I think it's like uh, the biggest urban design uh, office in the world or something. I don't know. It's like, it's, but it's quite in, in the public sector. So it's a quite big uh, yeah, organization. And then the thing is, and then it relates to how the, the, the organization, how the, the city is organized. Um, we are in the innovation department, but we work with people also from other departments and also within the urban planning department and other departments. So we try, so we have an organization, like an informal one, but we also work with the value streams. So the city organizes itself in a way that, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter in which department you are, we want to make something for mobility, we have some goals, or we want to make something for urban development, we have some goals, or public space. And then they put a lot of people together from different departments and orient that into reaching a specific goal. So in our case, we have people from the innovation department, from the data uh, department, um, uh, we're also now getting people from the urban planning department, and then uh, we're just working together to deliver, like, uh, to reach the goal of like a transparent urban planning process or digitalized uh, processes, and so. Okay, so a lot of complexity in the outside world, but also a lot of complexity oh. in the Amsterdam municipality itself. Yes, and. You said value stream organization. So you guys mix the departments. It's almost like, yeah, we are in different, different areas of the, of the whole organization, but then we mix roles up when there is an issue or just to have a focus oriented work. More than that, I would say, because that, that would be like the working group style and that exists in many big organizations. But, but more than like there's something going on, then you're going to meet with people from other departments. It's really like, you as a team, as an architect, or you as a project manager, or, or a data analyst, you are working with a team from ju just like your day job, just like full-time or part-time working in another team uh, within the value stream. And do you guys also work with external collaborators? Because it's a lot of people now in the municipality. I know that in the past it was a lot smaller, and therefore there were more collaborations. Do you today still have external collaborators like architects, designers, tech profiles, and so on that support you in research or projects? Definitely, we have a lot of collaborators. Um, and then, so we, we have in the municipality, so kind of like a high, uh, high level guideline of being careful with uh, outsourcing mm -hmm. because um, first, you want to build capability, so you want to be able to do things yourself, uh, just within the organization. Um, and also, you want to keep, when you do something, you learn a lot, and you want to keep these people working for you in other projects also. 
So that's that's what kind of like a major guideline. So that's why we have such a big software development uh, team. I, was, I wouldn't say, I, I would say 100, I don't know, but like a, a lot of people wow. that work in, in developing software. So the 3D Amsterdam, for example, uh, platform was developed internally. So it was not outsourced, so it was fully developed internally. Um, and then, of course, we have collaborators. And then for specific expertise, for, for research. Um, and it's quite helpful, actually, I mean, you're not, because it, it speeds up the process because it, it takes someone that's already an expert at the subject. Uh, but I would just say in terms of working in, in, um, in the government that you need to be careful with, still build your, your own capability of uh, doing things. Okay. That, that kind of brings me to, to the final questions, which are a bit more related to the practical advice we try to share with listeners, right? You know, if, if government and municipalities are your main client, how do you approach them? Like, how do you get in their radar so that commissions come your way? It's a very good question because, um, and, and I would say it, it depends a lot on the context you are working on. If it's like a big city, if it's here in the Netherlands or, or somewhere else, and it would change a lot. So uh, for example, I worked many, many years in Brazil and in Brazil, it's a more formal environment. So we have more formal procurement. So we, you kind of need letters uh, of recommendation from previous assignments to get an assignment. So mm -hmm. how are you gonna get your first assignment if you don't have a letter of a previous assignment? So you can start there, you can start kind of like volunteering and doing some work for municipalities in order to get these certificates. Uh, but it's very specific from Brazil. Here, I would say it's less formal. So if you are out there and show that you're doing nice things or that you have the expertise and and just like contact people working in the government, it's also okay because they got to know you and then they know what to do and then they see uh, and then they know also what's going on in the city. So they can, oh, I think there's a lot of possibilities here especially for starters because of course if you are like if you have a big company you're probably interested in like in a big um in a big urban design project or architectural project so probably be a, a formal procurement um and then you probably have the means to do that and to, to mm -hmm. just go and find it but for smaller entrepreneurs i'd say just in the people base just like talking to people understanding the needs but not really, I think what is difficult, and that's something, because I, I, I talk to a lot of uh, um, sellers from tech solutions and, and mm -hmm. everything. And one of the problems is that, so they have a solution and then they want to sell you their solution. And I mean, I don't care about the other, uh, the solution. I care about my problem. I, I care about my challenge. Mm -hmm. So how can you solve my challenge? And that's something that most companies don't do. They usually, okay, this is our product or these are our products, but not really try to understand what exactly we want or exactly we need, I'll say. Yeah. And so no, don't come with a ready-made solution and try to fit it in my box, but would it make sense to still come with a concrete proposal? Like I really imagine a starter, someone that has a new firm, maybe they're young, like a way to approach municipality could also be maybe something very small to test out together. Like, yeah. hey, I have this idea. It's It might be interesting for you. It doesn't require a lot of budget, but it allows us to get to know each other. 
something like that works or is a big no no don't contact me don't talk to me no i think i think i think it's a good thing because yeah like you have an idea and it's great but then you try to understand also the other side and um Yeah, then I think I think it just it's just a great it's a great way to go if you have like a methodology or a framework or a technology or a software, I think it's a it's a great way to go. And I have a bit of a technical question, Bruno. I don't know if if you're allowed to answer, so I'll just put it out there. Worst case, we cut it out. Um, because there is public procurement, and that's that's of course in place. So any commission over a certain amount has to be tendered and there needs yeah. to be uh, open process. competition uh, amongst all interested parties and a very, very even and equal evaluation. But there is also a threshold normally under which the commission can be given directly, right? Uh, that varies, I know, from municipality to municipality or from department to department. How does that look in Amsterdam? What is that amount that you can give freely to someone if they have something interesting? Uh, or what is the threshold that you cannot go over? Yeah, so actually this is an European regulation. Uh, so there's the European regulation, but that's also the local regulation. I think it's around 50,000 euros. It's like something you can uh, give up directly to, to a contractor, I would say. Okay. Um, but still, I think this, uh, yeah, from the government perspective, I think it only applies when it's something exceptional. So I'll try to have like a, like a small competition with some, uh, if it's something that you know that other people also do, then try like to invite some two or three companies to provide a proposal. Um, and then it's not, not formally required, but out, experience, out of uh, my experience, I think it's a good thing. Uh, to do, but then of course, like if the, it's something just super nice and innovative, and you just want to give it a try, um, that 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 works out. So that can yeah. uh, happen without going through the whole procedure. Also, because to go through the whole uh, procurement procedure, you need to know exactly what you want, and if it's something innovative, you don't really know what you want. So we want to yeah. try it out. Yeah, yeah, I understand that you want to have the freedom. I was talking some time ago, we did a project with the city of Valencia and actually it was quite interesting because some departments had a very hard threshold on 15,000. They couldn't commission more than that, but the innovation department had a bigger threshold. So it was around 50K, like you said, mm -hmm. because basically they wanted to have the freedom to test stuff and, you know, really invest some money in solutions that might fail or might not fail. And if you do it through procurement, it doesn't work. No. Yeah, and also takes too long sometimes yeah. to go through the whole procedure, and um, and time for innovation is is, is super important. So yeah. if it takes a year to do something, and then maybe it's already too late, so it doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, okay, this I think was quite interesting for those that are running a firm or want to start their own firm. It's pretty clear technology on the plate, and it needs to be new and interesting but also an understanding of how the whole municipality and government work and a pitching model that needs to be useful. Or you go through the big channels, like going through the tendering streams and get qualifications and so on. Yes, correct. Let's think now more from the perspective of the youngest listeners. So those that are either studying or they're just starting their career, they're still very much keen to take a direction. Maybe they don't have it yet. What would you advise then? 
Yeah. Um, first, I would say, uh, like knowing a software, oh, I know two 3D modeling softwares and um, sticking to that and say, oh, these are kind of like my skills. Uh, it's not going to take uh, people too far. So it's not like, I mean, it maybe was like this 10 years ago. It was like this when I graduated. Um, but now I think we need to be professional learners. Um, so it's not about learning. that You need to be familiar with the tools. Um, but you need to know how to learn new tools and new things. So either for, for, for managing your work or for modeling or just like, especially now with the generative AI, um, but they're just like other tools out there. So uh, like, like game engines, it's so it, there's, uh, or like data analysis uh, tools, just so you have our data visualization, Tableau, uh, Power BI. So they're all things that you don't usually see as in the curriculum of architects or urban designers or urban planners. Um, but they're just as important, I would say, and that they make a difference because the the I think the market is looking for people with this that are not only in their box, but they also have understanding of other things and can also use other other tools outside uh, their the ones of, on this field on her field. Yeah. I love it. It's like bringing a bit of experimentation into your professional life. Keep trying, keep testing. Be your own lab. Almost. Yeah, that's that's nice. Yeah, that be your okay. be your be your own lab. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all live in labs now. It's like a big lab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I love it, and I think this applies as well for for you know people running a practice or being part of a practice. Like if a practice doesn't have room for experimentation, like you said, they will never catch up with what's new or what's unforeseen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and it doesn't need to be, I mean, you don't need to develop a rocket. It doesn't need to be to do something totally different. If, you, if you're open to adapting your process and innovating little by little, little steps, little things, try a plugin or just like uh, this week, try doing the meeting differently or... Small things, I think they have a big impact. So, um, of course, if you have a small, if you have a small practice, you cannot afford to take one month to do something crazy. But like small things, they they can also can always do that. Like if you have like uh, I don't know, ten percent or fifteen percent of your time dedicated to learning something different or trying something different, I think it's going to to help the process uh, definitely. Yeah, there was this urban legend. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not an urban legend. It's actually true from Google, um, where they said that every Friday, so every fifth day of the week, employees could work on whatever they wanted. Uh, I don't know if you have ever heard of that. That's even true. Maybe listeners know better. But it's an interesting model. Like it's a way of budgeting for innovation, right? Yeah. So actually, the way it works in the municipality. In theory, and that's the our it's the the, the, the goal is that uh, so we have the, the people working in value streams. Um, we have working four uh, quarters. I mean the year has four quarters, and then you have uh, four sprints in every quarter, three sprints of three weeks, and then one sprint of two weeks. And the idea is that this last sprint of two weeks in every quarter, it's for innovation. 
So you, you would like try something different, try something else, try something new. Um, and I, I would say it's like the idea, but it's still not a practice. One, because we're starting now. So that's the first year we're trying to do that. But also because, I mean, innovation is also uh, an expertise. So how do you innovate? Which methods? Which kind of, are going to do a workshop? Or just, it's not like just doing something and then it comes, it's going to be nice. But like, especially if it's a group, if it's a team, how do you innovate? And then that's still something, we don't have enough people in the innovation department to support all the other teams. So I would say that in the next years, I would expect to see the innovation department doing more for the regular teams of the other teams in this innovation sprints and try to, to address the problems of that specific team and try to innovate or learn uh, new things. Yeah, I love it. It's a very interesting way of working. Uh, I also like what you say here, like the fact that you cannot be an innovator on everything. As long as, long as you are an innovator on something, that's fine. You don't need to know everything and be the first in everything, but at least each one of your, you know, like uh, people in your department or in other departments have room to innovate in their own field and discover something new. It could be a workshop, could be a piece of tech. I think that's super valuable. It also takes away a bit of FOMO. Otherwise, you're always you thinking, know, oh, it's too much. It's too much. Too I cannot much, do it. Yeah. I will never catch up. Yeah, but then and I, I would say the innovation mindset, it's like it's like important. There's like the innovation mindset and the innovation skills, I would say, because there are like professional innovators and they're not specifically, they don't really know any specific field or they don't work specific field, but they're like general innovation consultants. So there, there, there is, there, there are methodologies for innovation that you can use in different topics or in different environments. And um, so have, knowing some of this, I mean, you don't need to be an expert, an innovator, but knowing some of what innovation, what, what that means and uh, trying the small things, as you said, it's, I would say it's enough. Like it's, don't need more than that. Okay, I love it. This applies for everyone. So I think I'm going to close it here. And I want to thank you again, Bruno, for being here. Bruno Avila. And it was amazing. Very insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for this very interesting talk. So we are back from our talk with Bruno. Quite a few interesting insights, especially if you are planning to pitch some collaborations to your local municipality. As usual, we jump right now into our boundary-breaking business model idea inspired by this conversation. The Innovation Unit. Here's my idea. Bruno operates with his lab um, with quite a wide opportunity for risks taking, meaning that they iterate, they fail, they test new things, and if something useful comes up, they pass it along to the rest of the of the team, to the rest of the whole municipality workforce. This is possible because the Amsterdam municipality has a huge financial power and can finance these types of units. But imagine smaller towns, imagine smaller institutions that have maybe only a few employees, very much busy with technical work and operational work. They might not have the capacity to have their own internal research unit, but they might be able to allocate some small funding to have an external collaborator doing the job. 
So here is the idea. What if you would raise this funding from multiple organizations, from multiple institutions, from multiple cities or towns or regional governments? What if your team would be composed of a multifaceted kind of skill set, meaning tech, planning, law, marketing, economics, for example. And with this team, you would provide services or a line of research which is established with all this pool of partners, this pool of funding partners. And at the same time, you would steer the work in order to help them facing their challenges, but you also have the safety of a secure financial stream. It's pretty much like a crowdsourcing idea, we could say. Here is the boundary breaking business model for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And as usual, I encourage you to reach out. Many of you already did and you shared very inspiring feedback. So we will try to implement as much as possible in the coming episodes. For all the others, reach out, let us know what you think. The channels are the usuals, known a podcasts on Instagram or known a on LinkedIn and whatever platform you're using to listen. Take a moment, stop, hit follow, give us a rating. It means a lot. Subscribe to the channels, let us know that you're out there, and we will see you next week. Beyond Architecture is a non-A podcast. This episode has been developed with the financial support of the Dutch Creative Industries Fund. Editorial support and marketing for Non-A, Marco Mattia Cristofori, Daniela Silva, and Francisco Rivera. Sound supervision by Daniel van der Poppe for Sprachmarker Media. Advisory, Max Augustein, Martine Chloe van der Bomen, Francesco De Stefano, and Anne Bruna. I'm Luca De Stefano, your host, and this was Beyond Architecture.